Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This afternoon, I'm delighted to welcome my friend Thierry Gregorius. Thierry Gregorius is probably the tallest man in British Geo. I reckon he comes out at about 6'6", or maybe even 6'7", and he's also not from the UK, he's from Luxembourg, and maybe we'll hear a little bit about his journey from Luxembourg to London and then out to Devon. And I describe Thierry as a polygeo, the geo equivalent of a polymath, somebody who's got a wide range of skills, much more than geo, and who dips into those skills as his career has spanned senior roles at Shell, Landmark, Expradat, which is now GTEC, and a new venture that he's going to be telling us about. So, Thierry, welcome to the GMLB podcast. It's really nice to be here. Thank you, Stephen. And tell us a little bit about your journey in geo. Yeah, so um, I've been in geo or geospatial all my career, basically. So starting in Luxembourg, where I grew up, I then went to uni in Germany because in those days, we didn't actually have a university in Luxembourg. So if you want to go to uni, you have to go abroad, basically, which means driving in any direction more than half an hour. And you find yourself <laughs> either in, in France, Germany or Belgium. And uh, so I went to Germany, but then I carried on, went to Australia and, and then landed in the UK at Newcastle University, where I did my PhD in geodesy. And then from there, I uh, went to the Netherlands to work for Shell for over 10 years, which was great. Actually, I was responsible for um, rolling out GIS across the, the enterprise worldwide at Shell. So involved a lot of traveling, meeting interesting people, interesting countries. Then I came back to the UK with my family and joined Landmark Information Group, a land and property business and doing geospatial stuff in the environmental sector and and real estate, which was great fun as well. And then I went back into the energy industry about 2013, I think, working for Axprodot, a specialist geospatial consultancy for the energy sector. So there again, ended up traveling all around the world, doing interesting jobs in weird and interesting places. And yeah, and I'm still there now. We know um, GTAC, the GTAC group took us over a few years ago. Uh, GTAC is a geoscience data company, also again, serving energy sectors and, and others. So, And then more recently, last year, I launched my own new business on the side as well, True Horizon Coaching, providing executive and career coaching for geospatial professionals and, and beyond. So, um, which I'm hugely enjoying as well, actually. So, yeah, that was a quick tour on so my that's quite geospatial a journey. career. It's also quite a tour around the world. Uh, I guess you're one of those people who can probably wheel off 50 or more countries that you've visited in the course of your career. Yeah, I guess I haven't counted them. But yeah, I've been to some interesting places that I would never have gone to otherwise, like uh, Nigeria or Libya or, or to Kazakhstan. Or, but I've also been to really nice places in the traditional sense been to Australia loads of times as part of my job as well, to North America many times. But actually, you know, we have these preconceptions of what a nice place is. I found actually these weird places that I would never have gone to really, really interesting. In fact, more interesting than the places that we're more familiar with. So um, you meet really nice people. And yeah, as you travel around the world, you just, you just get to know people and realize that people want the same things all around the world, wherever they live. 
whichever countries or regimes they work under. So yeah, no, it's been it's been really good. Really, really enjoyed it. So what excites you in the geo world today? I guess what I find exciting is that anything is possible now. It's no longer the question how you do something, because with technology, you can do virtually anything now. So then the question becomes, why are you going to do something or, or which problem are you going to solve? And how are you going to solve it? You, you can always work it out in some way, but it's really about framing the problem. And, and once you've done that, the solution kind of designs itself, really, which is exciting because opportunities are, are endless in that regard. Even in the energy industry? Yeah, well, there's the energy transition happening now, which has actually been accelerated over the past couple of years. And yeah, I mean, that, that's really happening now. I mean, I've worked in oil and gas for a long time, as you know, and um, mm. and it's no longer greenwashing of what's happening, really. It's, it's actually really happening, and it's ha- happening at exponential speed. Renewable energies, hydrogen, geothermal, whatever else is out there, it, it is actually happening. Um, surprisingly quickly and also you see that the way investments are going or not going as as the case may be so the world bank for example is no longer investing in oil and gas they're only investing in sustainable energies and and likewise a lot of institutional investors are, are, are redirecting their investments into green energies which is really exciting yeah and i saw i saw today a small piece in the paper about a new battery technology for cars which will enable ultra high speed charging so you'll be able to recharge a battery in five minutes or something which is potentially a game changer for electric vehicles and they'd already got some kind of a tie up with either bp or shell one of the two big global oil companies to look at how they would put charging points onto all of the forecourts because clearly you know forecourts aren't going to be there in 15 20 years time so yeah you can see how it will change and there will still be problems to be solved and some of those problems will still need location i guess yeah absolutely so i was going to ask you about being an examiner at newcastle and the kind of things that you're doing at newcastle university but i hadn't realized until you you said in your intro that you'd be done your phd at newcastle so i sort of get that there's a long-standing connection for you with newcastle university but what exactly are you doing as an external examiner there? Yeah, yeah, indeed. So I've got a long-standing connection with Newcastle ever since I, I was there as a student. I've been keeping up my my links with with the institution. So it's really good people down there. Yeah, I was external examiner uh, for five years. Actually, this tenure ended just over a year ago or a couple of years ago. It's basically part of all of my career. I've always been interested in learning and development. And when when I look back, everything I've done have has always been linked in with that. So at uni, I really enjoyed studying, even though actually I always hated school. But but once I got to uni level, I really enjoyed what I was doing because I could choose my subjects. And uh, and the further you went, the more you could choose your interests. So the PhD was, was perfect for that. And then uh, once I was in the commercial world, I started off doing quite a bit, quite a few training courses as well that I ran for geodesy or, or GIS. And conversely, I had a lot of training that was given to me by various companies, particularly in the beginning of my career, that, that made a huge difference. You know, Shell had an amazing training program, career development program, like all, all big multinationals do. You know, the leadership training I got there really got me excited. And then once I was in leadership position, I found out what I was really most interested in was developing other people as well. 
and that has just been like, like like this common theme throughout my career, which also I guess led me to eventually um, starting up my own freelance business as as a coach as well to help people. And being an external examiner is kind of linked in with that. It gives a bit of industry input to the academic program at the university. On the other hand, I got to know what's happening in academia. I got to know the students. I was interested to know, you know what the younger generation are up to, what their expectations are, what their aspirations are, what they want to do. And yeah, so it all really linked in with that. And uh, But sadly, it came to an end because it had to. You can only go up to five years. That's the maximum they allow you to do yeah. to avoid any groupthink uh, emerging or anything like that. So if anyone's out there, I'll always be <laughs> interested to consider one of these things again as external examiner somewhere. I thought it was great fun. Yeah. I agree. I, I was an external lecturer at Nottingham for, I don't know, four years or something like that. And it was just fantastic fun. It was so energizing to have to prepare the lectures and go up and and working with, and I was mainly working with postgraduate students as well. So, you know, it was very stimulating. One of my PhD mentees now is Mark, it was Mark Iliff, you know, and following his career after he left Nottingham and went to the World Bank and then to the United Nations. It's very satisfying. I agree. And it also keeps you in touch, as you said, with what's going on yeah, so, it's win-win really isn't it it's win-win yeah, for everybody it is and we also we all need a break from the the daily grind of consulting commercials delivery technology it's a great thing to do so that i can see how that gap you filled to some extent with true horizon yeah indeed so um yeah, I've been working with people as a coach now for, for nearly a year, actually. I did my executive coaching certification last year, which I hugely enjoyed again, because again, it involved learning. I learned a lot about psychology and neuroscience and, and all these things. And so I put quite a bit of effort into that. And then once I had that, I started coaching formally. So yeah, I've been coaching people primarily in the geospatial sector, but also beyond anybody from young professionals, through to mid-career people, CEOs of startups or small businesses, uh, and everybody in between, really. And everybody has very unique issues that are specific to their circumstances. And, and again, it's interesting for me to see what kind of challenges people have in their geospatial or digital careers. And, and likewise, it's really nice to be able to make an impact. Really, when you see that they're making breakthroughs, it's really rewarding again, just like we just said. You know, it's win-win in that sense as well. So are there specific things around geospatial that you you work with or are there specific problems that people have in geospatial or is it just that that's where your network is? Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly where my network is and um as a coach I don't really give advice as such or at least I try not to. Obviously having worked in geospatial for like 25 years if I have a piece of information that will be useful to the person i'm not going to withhold it but i'm going to withhold it for as long as possible because as a coach i'm really about about asking questions rather than giving answers it's been proven in loads of studies that helping people come to their own solutions and ideas using their own resources and creativity is a lot more powerful than if you just give advice. Because if you come up with your own solutions, you're much more likely to implement them. You're much more likely to succeed at them. So as a coach, I try not to give advice, although I always do a little bit as well as appropriate, but, but I always work with people to get them to think for themselves. Because 
because that's that's really really powerful so how does coaching work i mean is it a sort of one or two sessions or is it a long-term relationship yeah it depends i mean with some people it, it can just be a short engagement just just an hour's worth of conversation for others it can be a long-term engagement uh, where we meet once a month yeah I've, I've got one client still who i'm still meeting with almost a year later so it really depends on everything in mm. between so it's really helping people along their journeys or helping them with a specific challenge if they're grappling with a complex issue that they want to talk through or, or bounce off for example i've worked with a couple of entrepreneurs you know they're running small businesses they haven't got anybody else to bounce off with especially now in mm -hmm. the pandemic where it's it's limited who you can meet with they just wanted to to talk through certain issues that they were having either with their own personal development or with their businesses, or they wanted to work on their leadership style with their own teams, how to create more trust or more engagement as you're all working remotely, these kind of things. So the issues are all all really wide-ranging, and they're not necessarily geospatial in nature. Uh, so it's not like I'm, I'm training people in geospatial skills, but, but they're all people mostly working in the geospatial sector. So obviously, we do touch on geospatial issues as well as part of that occasionally but longer term i imagine you know as your your network and recommendations come from further afield geospatial will be a smaller part of that yeah who knows i mean the geospatial yeah. field has grown tremendously as well in recent years so i'm always amazed how many people are out there that i haven't heard of who are doing amazing things. So it's it seems to be yeah. growing by the day. I guess the common thing is that people need someone to talk to. I mean, I know because from my consulting, you know, I've been sort of freelance consultant now for, what, 10, 12 years now. And a lot of that is just providing a sounding board for people, you know, because particularly when you're near the top of an organization, you often don't have anybody that you can talk to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, and often people are just happy to talk, like you say. Also in my work as consultant for GTAG, I see that all the time. When Whenever uh, I went in and helped organizations with their geospatial strategies, and as part of the requirements analysis, I, I usually then go around and talk to loads of stakeholders in the business. And, and they're all just really happy to talk to someone who's kind of independent, who's external to the organization, just again, for, for exactly like you said, just for to talk to somebody to create new ideas. Yeah, it's just, um, it's just a, a really basic human need, I think. It is. And it's funny, when you were talking about consulting um, and going in to do requirements analysis and things like that, it always seemed to me, having done quite a bit of this as well myself, that actually the client has all of the answers they just need to give them to an external consultant who has got the title expert in inverted commas and let the consultant give it back to the business as a recommendation because it carries a lot more weight when it comes from the consultant than when it comes from within the business. Yeah, yeah, which is weird. It's almost like it betrays an internal insecurity, isn't it? You just want yeah. it it's yeah. stamped by an external consultant. But it's very true. It's actually the most enlightened clients I've worked with as consultants who, who really do work like that. They, you know, they tend to have all the solutions. They just either don't realize it at that point or, or they want somebody to help them work work through that. Uh, whereas other clients, you know, they just want a sticky plaster solution, which as a consultant, as you know mm. as well, is frustrating because then you don't ever get to yeah. the root issue of the problem. You know? So yeah. 
uh, and it's not going to be a sustainable solution. But yeah, but as a coach, you really do go to that next level. You do go to the root issues, and with that, you really help people move forward completely in a different way that is really sustainable and transformational, which I love really. That's great. So if anyone's listening out there and is at a struggle point in their career or in their business, maybe you should think about giving Thierry a call and scheduling some kind of a conversation with him. So the coaching business is called True Horizon. Why did you choose that name? Yeah, well, I was looking around. I, was, I thought about it. I wanted the name that kind of has at least an an oblique reference to geospatial somehow. And uh, so and I looked at which names had already been in use, so which names I can't use. And then I came at True Horizon because, in fact, when you look at the horizon, when you go for a walk in the countryside or wherever, you don't ever actually see the true horizon because the true horizon is what you would see if you look out at sea. You know, the ocean gives you the true horizon. Mm. Uh, whereas normally... Wherever you are, the true horizon is obstructed by hills or houses or buildings, whatever. And I thought there was quite a good analogy with coaching, because with coaching, you really want to look at the true horizon. You know, what are your true goals? What's your true potential? Rather than looking at all these obstructions, which could be mirage or an illusion, or um, it's not really what you want, or it's not really what you're capable of. So it's, it was kind of a nice analogy with a, with a geospatial angle on it as well. Gotcha. Lovely. So we also said we were going to chat about geospatial careers because you've been coaching people and mentoring. I mean, you've been doing this sort of mentoring of early career professionals for, an, for a long time now. I mean, before you started the coaching business. So what are the, the key issues you think for people in planning their geospatial careers? Yeah, I mean, one of the main issues that I come across with almost everyone I coach is that, and it's amazing really, but you actually have to ask for what you want. A lot of people I work with, for example, if they've been overlooked for promotion or, or if, if, if they just want to work towards their next promotion, a lot of people make the assumption that if you do good work, that'll speak for itself and therefore at some point you will get promoted. But, and then if, if, if that doesn't happen, people start wondering, is my work not up to scratch or, or whatever? Am, am, am I not good enough? And then once I, I start probing, it always turns out well, that, well, actually, they've never asked for a promotion. They've never made it clear that they want a promotion. They, they have perhaps hinted at it obliquely, but not never asked straight out their boss or whoever's responsible for giving promotions that, hey, I want to be on the track for a promotion. What do I need to do to achieve it? And um, yeah, I, I see that all the time. And um, related to that is also imposter syndrome seems very common. Uh, I think that's just human. We all have insecurities. So there's always like like a seed of doubt in all of us in whatever we do, where you're saying, well, am I good enough? So I often work with people to, to go through that, to unpack that and work on their goals and actually unpack the evidence because... As a coach, I always chip away at assumptions because assumptions often turn out to be wrong. So we look at the evidence. What have you actually achieved so far? And there's always a lot more than people realize, and, and which is then a useful insight on which you can then try to build you know, new progress on top of. So, yeah, and then other people, other people maybe even struggle to, to work out what their goals are. Where do they want to go in their career? Because in geospatial, you can do almost anything. You know, it works across all industries. Like we said earlier, you can do anything with technology now. So the question then becomes, what do you use it for? 
and you know, I'll, I'll work with, with some people who just want to work out which kind of impact they want to make on the world and, and what would that look like and then make their plans based on that. Other people just want to work on on challenges they have in the workplace, whatever that may be, whether it's a leadership challenge they, they have or working with their team or working uh, with people who aren't easy to work with or no, it's it's wide ranging. And um, I'll throw yeah. one in for you, which is a bit of a curveball, which is I often get people asking me to sort of talk to them about careers and what they should be doing and what the next stage would be. And uh, yeah, might be someone who's lost their job or somebody who's thinking about the next job. And one thing that I see so commonly is that people who work in geospatial are stuck in geospatial. Mm. And they somehow, because they've enjoyed it, they don't want to leave it behind. But actually, it's just a load of technology. It's, it's one domain that they work in, you know, and often, you know, I say to people, you know, there's a massive world of technology out there that isn't geospatial. You know, yeah. Yeah. if you're a no, project a manager or if you're a consultant or if you're a salesperson, you don't have to look in this tiny little geospatial bubble that we work in and we enjoy working in, you know, you could look outside because there are hundreds, thousands of opportunities out there that are not geospatial. It's just... Yeah, it's a hugely we, transferable skill. I mean, yeah. geospatial people are used to, to working in three, three dimensions or more even, um, mm. looking at complex problems in multiple dimensions, using multiple technologies, having to interface with multiple disciplines. In, in, in that sense, a lot of us geospatial people are like orchestra conductors, where you have to know a little bit of loads of different things, or, or we're a little bit like architects. You know, as architects, you need to know lots of different things. You need to know how to design a house, but you also need to know planning laws, and you need to know engineering, you need to know art and creativity you need to know loads of things and it's a bit it's a bit like that with geospatial people as well so indeed that's a really good point and that loops us nicely back to what i said at the beginning about being a, a geomath a polymath a, yeah i mean having that wide range of skills and integrating all those skills and i think that is you know one of the things that we learn in a geospatial career so thierry as we wrap up i know that you're a, you're very keen on wild sea swimming and surfing and uh you live down in devon is it it is devon yeah. isn't it yeah east devon yeah at east devon and you're out on the water all in fact you were out on the water every day for 365 days weren't you last year uh no that must have been somebody else doing that challenge but i do somebody swim. Else? i do swim in the sea uh at least once a week so i'm fortunate to right. live just a few miles from the sea here and uh, surf as well with my family most weekends when the waves are on uh, throughout Devon and Cornwall. And um, yeah, so I do love it. And uh, in a so way, so how just, does that? Yeah, sorry, go on. Does that connect to geospatial in any way? Yeah, I was just about to say. Actually, uh, it, it is a bit of a spatial challenge, especially swimming, which I turned a little bit into a, a spatial challenge. In in that, I always want to swim in secluded spots where I've got the whole beach to myself, but we live in a right. crowded country. So it becomes a becomes a challenge in, in, in that sense. And we always say that we should stick everything on the map 
And um, I know you, <laughs> you, I think you and I think quite similar about that. Just because you can stick something on the map, that doesn't mean you should. And I totally agree no. with that. And also with swimming sports and, and surfing sports to an extent as well, there is actually the concept of secret sports uh, in the swimming and surfing mm. communities where you actually keep sports secret on purpose because you don't want them to be overrun by people, but also because it's much more fun exploring and stumbling upon really nice spots than being told by a map, here's where you need to go to find a nice spot. And um, that's why I don't ever put spots that I discover for swimming or surfing on a map. Uh, It's much better for Mm -hmm. people to discover them themselves. And also we don't want to encourage too many people like... During the pandemic, for example, the Open Water Swimming Society had to take down their world swimming map online uh, because all the spots were getting way overcrowded. Absolutely, yeah. So um, I get that. And it's a really nice challenge trying to find secluded spots because it's not just a 3D spatial challenge, but it's, it's not just where you go, but it's also when you go. Because if you want to go to a nice beach and it's a nice weekend with nice weather, well, it's going to be busy. But... If, you, if you're a bit more open-minded when you go, like in the middle of the week, early morning, when the weather's not perfect, you're going to have whole beaches to yourself. Uh, it's it's brilliant, yeah. absolutely brilliant. I mean, we found that because yeah, we, we're very fortunate where we live. We've got um, some fabulous sort of woods and heaths and things that we can walk on that are within a few minutes of the house. And if you go to some of these spots at the weekend – they're absolutely rammed with people. But you go the f- on a Monday morning at sort of 10 o'clock on a Monday morning and you won't see another person there. And it's absolutely, you know, pick your time and pick your place. And I remember when I, I had a guy work for me years back who was a really serious amateur, semi-professional amateur photographer. And he was into nature photography. So I think mainly flowers and some animals. And he used to take all his vacations and go to really sort of out of the way places to take, you know, and spend two weeks trying to get photographs of some rare animal or something. But he switched off the GPS on his camera, you know, when everyone was into being able to geolocate all their photographs and put them all on the internet. He said, the last thing I ever want to do if I'm going to spend two weeks tracking down some rare species, is then give other people the location of that because that rare species will be picked or or destroyed within a year if I do that. And it's exactly the same as your swimming spots. Switch off your geotags. They're not always helpful. Yeah. 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 And maybe don't even tweet so much when you're in those places. Wait till you get home. Yeah, exactly. Because a tweet so, will have an inbuilt geotag as well. Uh, yes, even if it's a geotag that's from Twitter's wrong location, it's still going to be damaging. So, Thierry, to wrap up the last thing, I know you've been a regular attender at Geomob. I'm not sure. Have you ever spoken at a Geomob? No, I don't think I have, actually. Right, then we're going to remedy that. We're going <laughs> to remedy that. For the benefit of our listeners, I'm also going to publish a YouTube link, if I can find it, of Thierry doing five minutes of geo-influence stand-up comedy at a conference a decade or more ago. Oh, my God, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, but it was hysterically funny. But we will get you to a geomob. But 
From the events you've attended, what have been your favourite moments? Yeah, I always enjoy the presentations, of course, because they're so eclectic. You know, you can have in one evening, you can go from from history to ecology to... Oh, I really enjoyed that presentation of, um, what's his name, Quentin, who walked all around the coastline of Britain. Quentin Lake, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. that was amazing as well. I, I really miss the energy in the room. I, I know we can do this all online and virtually and all of that, but um, I, I really miss traveling to London, which I used to do a lot, hence also coming to the geomobs, and, and just feeling the energy in the room, spending an evening with like-minded people. And I think, I think we all miss that at the moment. We all do. And let's hope that we're able to do that again later in this year. Absolutely. Thierry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for talking to us this evening. I'm going to put the link to True Horizon Coaching, your Twitter link, and an email link in the show notes. So if anyone wants to get in contact with you to talk about coaching, they'll be able to do it. I'm also going to try and find that YouTube video if I can. It might embarrass you a little bit. Um, probably best if you can't find it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I won't go too hard then. Jerry, thanks very much. No, it's been really good. Thank you, Stephen. It's been great. Thanks everyone for joining us today and listening to the GMR podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.